Thank you for downloading this podcast from Emmanuel Church Lurgan. At Emmanuel, our vision is to help rewrite the story of Craigavon, Ireland and the nations with the good news of the Kingdom of God. We hope you enjoy listening to this message. Good to see you all this morning, all the early birds at the early service. It's really good to have you here. We're in the middle of our foundations. Um, well, I was going to say in the middle, but we've been at this for so long now, I've lost count. But um, the idea was, the whole idea was looking at uh, the church planting module and how Paul, the Pauline cycle of, of church planting. And then we decided to try and figure out what exactly was um, Paul teaching these new churches. So if you can flick over onto my screen there, Timmy, if you would, please. Um, there we go. Um, so what I want to do this morning, we're looking at what true community really looks like, looking at like, um, as a church body, we are a true community. Remember last um, week, we, we talked about this, we talked about, um, we showed the little clip out of Land King, and we talked about being a weird herd or one strange herd, which you really are, aren't you? Um, Bible calls us a peculiar people, some more peculiar than others, and um, there, there is something about, there is something about um, the, the body of Christ when it's functioning right, this true community. And so what I want to do this morning, I want to talk to you about forgiveness as a, a sign of true community. We've taught in forgiveness so, so many times, but Dave and I chatted a little bit about this um, along with some of our, our core leaders, and we just sensed that it was really important, maybe it's such an important message about forgiveness, and we thought it would be good to um, re-sort uh, of bring this back into the body of Christ and make us realize just how important forgiveness and how disastrous unforgiveness really is. So the familiar saying, don't get mad, just get even, sort of sums up how the world deals with someone who wrongs you. It's not so when it comes to Scripture, because when we come to the Bible in Ephesians 4, it tells us that we're to be kind and tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is the Bible, just as God in Christ has forgiven you. Now, it's easy to say that. It's tough to apply it, all right? Um, and the difficulty increases in the proportion to how you've been offended or hurt. Now, if you've been hurt really badly, you don't feel like forgiving the person, even if they repent, you might maybe want even to make them suffer for a little while. And um, you want them to know what it feels like. You want them to pay. And any of us, self-included, can totally, absolutely understand that. I can understand that fully. I read a funny story about um, three guys, three hell's angels who pulled into a truck stop, um, a motorway service station, and this lorry driver was sitting eating his dinner. And these three guys sort of thought they'd rough this guy up a bit, so they they sort of pulled his dinner away from him, made a bit of fun of him, and, and made little of him. The guy never said a word, got up, paid for his meal, and went out and got into his lorry, and away he went. And um, one, of the, one of the three tough guys said to the waitress, said, he wasn't much of a man, sure he wasn't, and because uh, he was a bit disappointed he didn't get a reaction. And the waitress said, no, he's not much of a lorry driver, he just run over your three motorbikes. <laughs> so, um, uh, so... If, if, if you're struggling with your feelings right now, your pain may be current, it may be recent, or it may be years, it could be decades old, but if you're bitter and unforgiving, then you're not following two of the greatest commandments in the Bible. Actually, Jesus said this himself, 
that the two greatest commandments were to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And they actually said, on these two hang all the laws of the prophets, which we know were around 413 of them. So, so bitterness not only displeases God, but it actually it, it spreads to others. This verse here, I think this is one of the most powerful verses describing the root of bitterness. It said, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up in you to cause trouble and to defile many. A root of bitterness, a root of bitterness, something that takes root in your soul and begins to grow and grow and grow and get bigger and bigger. So we must, to please God, we must ask Him to help us to truly forgive the people who have wronged us. Now, I was struggling with this this week, knowing that I've preached on forgiveness so many times, knowing that we've done it here in church so many times, I, uh, and knowing that we wanted to touch on forgiveness or the lack of it, I, uh, or the consequences that it could land us in. I, I, I was struggling to try and put it together, so we rolled our eggs, believe it or not, on Monday amidst all the rain. We, went, uh, we didn't go too far. We went to Craigavon, up that big hill at the back of the, um, the, the shopping center. We rolled our eggs, and we run for the cars, and, and then we just went and ate cake and drank coffee, which was a good idea. Um, and, and in the afternoon, I went to the study, Monday afternoon, I went to the study, I tried to get my head around this morning, I got before God, I was, and then in the evening, Lorraine was working on Monday, so when she came home, I went back to the study again for a little while in the evening, couldn't get it right. Tuesday afternoon, went back to the study, Tuesday evening, went back to the study. Wednesday morning, I had to drive up to Hilltown to meet a family up there to, to, to do with a funeral on Friday that many of you know that I officiated at, um, and I had to drive up to Hilltown on Wednesday morning, and by this time, I was getting a little bit stressed, and I know that's not of God, but I was getting a little bit stressed because I just hadn't, I couldn't get it, I couldn't land it, and um, I knew that the rest of my week was pretty um, chock-a-blocked, uh, so I wasn't dead sure where I was going to make this all work, and I had this desperate thought that for the first time in 20 years or 22 years, I'd have to stand up here and have nothing to say. And I knew you'd be devastated. <laughs> and I also knew that some of you needed to hear something. So I, um, I, I took a little meander on the way back from Hilltown and went into Costa. I met a couple of angels there and uh, went into Costa and uh, got a coffee. I sort of thought a coffee might help. I found that Costa are now doing what's called a flat black, or a black, what, is that right? Flat black? Because I'm a flat white person, but flat black doesn't even sound right. So after conversing with the girl about what this might be, I thought I'd give it a go. Um, sat down, drank my coffee, began to look through some scriptures, and I came on this verse in Luke's gospel. Great verse. Motto for life, really. Luke 6.31. And uh, it caught me. Caught me. Do to others as you would have them do to you. And I thought, wow, that looks pretty cool. And uh, that could be a motto for life. And then I began to think, what would those things be? And so I took my journal out. And I began to write in my journal what I would like others to do to me. Because if I would like them to do that to me, then that's what I should do to them. And so my little list went something like this. I, I wrote, well, I'd, I'd like people to respect me, respect my time, respect me. I, I, like, I like people to love me. Of course, we all love loved. 
I like people to be kind to me. I like people to forgive me and to forgive me and to forgive me quickly. I like that. And so you can make your own list. On and on, my little list went. Um, and you can make your own. And I, I wrote at the bottom of my journal, this assuredly is a golden rule for life. Do to others as you would have them do to you. Now, I just finished packaging Genesis um, for the devotionals. I've been sort of rejigging them and re um, aligning them for, and Julie's been proofreading them and doing a great job, and Julie's been firing those out, which is wonderful. And I just finished um, the 50 chapters of Genesis, and uh, I began to think, I was drawn to people in Genesis who suffered greatly, who you could write this verse over, and the person that I, 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 I was blown away by was a, a guy called Joseph. And while we, we have little verses and an odd chapter about some of the patriarchs, when it comes to Joseph, we have 13 chapters on the life of Joseph, from 37 really to the end. We have all of this, all of this stuff on the life of Joseph. It's a great story. If you want to pick it up in Genesis 37, you'll get it in my devotion now when it comes out. But um, of all the people that didn't deserve what happened to him, Joseph is the prime example for this, and he's the one person I think I could learn forgiveness from. As a matter of fact, I'd give the trophy to him every time. I'd give, give him the forgiveness trophy every single time. Joseph had to avoid bitterness. He had to learn how to forgive. He had been hurt. He had been cheated over and over again. And it, nowhere in Scripture does it record that he ever had a trace of bitterness. His own brothers planned to kill him. Um, you know the story, I'm sure. They planned to kill him, and then eventually um, Reuben went off somewhere, and I think it was Simeon or the other way about, sold him to a, a, a camel trade of, of, of travelers who were heading down to Egypt, and they sold him, um, and he went down, and he was sold into Potiphar's house as a slave. Um, Joseph's life is a classic lesson how to overcome bitterness. He was faithful, upright, even in Potiphar's house. The blessing of God was on him. Potiphar's wife took a shine to him, tried to get him into bed over and over and over again, which he resisted. And then when she was spurned enough, she eventually grabbed him, tried to manhandle him into bed, and he ran and she tore his coat from him. And of course, a spurned lover is a dangerous thing. And she told her husband that Joseph had tried to rape her and Potiphar gets him fired into the, the prison of the guard, all right? Which is a, not a nice place to be. Spends, spends years in prison, interprets a couple of dreams for some people, one of whom he hoped would give him a bit of a, a, a good talk up to the, when he got reinstated, the butler reinstated back into the, the, the Pharaoh's house. But of course, he got forgotten about and for another couple of years, he lay in this prison. And Joseph never grew better towards God or towards those who wronged him, which is an amazing, amazing thing. Now, we're going to pick up the story in the last chapter, all right? I'm not going to pick it up in 37. I'm going to pick up the story in chapter 50, because now what has happened, Joseph's brothers and his father has come back to, uh, has come to Egypt to live because of a famine, and they've now been there for 17 years, all right? 17 years. And now dad has just died. Jacob has just died after 17 years, been reunited with Joseph. He's died. And, and so the big thing is, the big thing is, would Joseph pay them back? 
Would Joseph pay them back? This is what's going on in the brothers' heads. After 17 years, unbelievable, isn't it? Now dad's dead. Joseph's going to get his own back. He's just been nice to us the whole, all of these years because dad was alive. And they make up this sort of, they make up this story. And they make up this story that said, um, that, that, uh, let's read it and then you can see. Here it goes. All right. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, what if Joseph holds a grudge against us and pays us back for all the wrongs we did to him? So they sent word to Joseph. Here it is. Here's a little little bit of cock and bull story, I think, because I don't think there's any founding in it. Your father left these instructions before he died. Now, I think Jacob had a relationship with Joseph that if he was worried that Joseph might do this, he would have had a conversation with him, which we have no record of, all right? This is what you are to say to Joseph. I asked you to forgive your brothers the sins and the wrongs they committed in treating you so badly. Now, please forgive the sins of the servants of God, your father. Now, if I was Joseph, if I was Joseph at this point, I'd be gutted. I'd be thinking 17 years I've poured blessing after blessing and favor onto these guys, and they still don't trust me. I, I'd be, I'd be, I, I think I'd be offended. Did Joseph take offense? Let's see. It says, when their message came to him, Joseph wept. His brothers then came, threw themselves down before him. We are your slaves, they said. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I in the place of God? You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. So then don't be afraid. I will provide for you and your children. And he reassured them and spoke kindly to them. Joseph's attitude here is the success to forgiveness. It's the success and the key to life. And we're going to look at some of the attributes of that, some of the things that I think I've been able to pull out of this story Good old Costa Coffee, along with the Holy Spirit, was incredibly powerful. Here's the first one, all right? The first one is, the, th- the thing that grabs me in this is Joseph's perspective. He, he thinks in proper perspective. I love that little phrase. <laughs> Am I in the place of God? You know the way it says, in, I think it's 1 Corinthians 7, talks about judge not that you be not judged. Don't put yourself in the place of God. Remember whenever the woman was caught in adultery and Jesus said, let he who is without sin cast the first stone. He said, if you want to judge, then you need to take the place of judge and you need to get into line as well because we all come under the same, the, same, the same remit. And so here what happens when Joseph's brothers approached him, the spontaneous responses to weep. He shows us tender heart and he assures his, he's the second most powerful person in all the earth he could have these people, his brothers, he could have them imprisoned. He could have had them killed without a question asked. He didn't, they didn't, he didn't need a jury. He didn't need a court. He could have got these boys sorted out. But he assumes a proper perspective under God. And Joseph's question is a good one for you to ask when it comes to forgiveness in your life. And when you're tempted to withhold forgiveness or to seek vengeance, then when someone has wronged you, a good question to ask yourself is, am I in the place of God? Joseph, powerful in the world's eyes, but he knew he wasn't big enough to take God's place. Here's some things that I think is important for us to recognize. We must allow God to be judge of all, all right? The Lord says, vengeance is mine, I will repay, Romans 12, 19. That's the word of the Lord. He's the only competent judge, the one who knows the thoughts and intents of every person's heart, and and we need to trust him to deal rightly with every person. Most of us want 
um, God's mercy for us and God's judgment for our offender. And God said, no, 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 no. We, as believers, we should want God's mercy for everyone. And I'm convinced that one reason Joseph gave his brothers, um, forgive his brothers, is that he realized he had no rights with God. He had no real claims on God. And, and, and he allowed these brothers off the hook. Here's the second one. We must humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God. When terrible things happen to you, you have two options to think about. Either God is sovereign, and for some reason he allowed this to happen, or else God isn't sovereign, and this one slipped by him. That's the only two options. The Bible declares that God is sovereign. Listen to this verse. I have this on the screen, but it's Ephesians 1.11. God works all things after the counsel of his will. God works all things after the counsel of of his will. Nothing, including the evil deeds of wicked men, can thwart God's plans. And Joseph was able to see this. What a great perspective. When people wrong you, I don't say that glibly, some terrible things have happened to godly people down through the century. Some missionaries have been slaughtered for trying to take the gospel to people um, who needed to hear it. Godly pastors have been accused and driven from their churches. Faithful spouses have been devastated by their mates who have left them for someone else. Innocent children have been abused by a parent they trusted. The list could go on and on. The Bible doesn't hide this sort of thing either. John the Baptist lost his head. The most praised man by Jesus at this time, beheaded by a drunken king who, who was influenced by a provocative dance. On and on ago, the apostles, one by one, all of them, every single one of them, slaughtered in some shape or form, martyred for their faith, bar um, the apostle John. But they did a good enough job to try and get rid of him, boiled him in oil, did everything, and eventually exiled him to the island of Patmos, where we get our book of Revelation from. And when you turn to pages like uh, Hebrews 11, you know, and we read about all the great heroes of faith, and then we come to the last little section, 36 on. Listen as I read it. Some faced jeers and flogging, some chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawn in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves uh, and in holes in the ground. All these were commended for their faith, and yet none of them received what was promised. None of them received what was promised. Since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us, they would be made perfect. You need to bend your head around that sometime. You need to bend your head around that passage sometime. There's an eternity ahead of us. And God has some stuff stored. For even the people who were sawn asunder while they were still alive, in Acts chapter 11, that together with us, God has something to do. I, I tell you, that, that passage alone almost freaks me out in a good way. It is so beautiful. So if you, you may not like it, but you've got to submit to the sovereignty of God in your life when someone wrongs you. And, and, and for some purpose and for some reason, you need to understand it. Because here's the deal. Here's the, not only 
Do, do we need to allow God to be the judge of all? Not only do we need to be humble, we need to believe that God is good and he's always good, always, always good. You meant it for evil, but God meant it for good is sort of the, the, the New Testament, Testament equivalent of that is Romans 8. All things, all things. I remember a guy said to me years ago, well, I don't think it means all things. <laughs> well, it says all things. It couldn't mean all things. This was a Christian brother. I said, no, 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 it's all things. All things work together for good to those who love God and to those who are called according to his purpose. I had a lady, I preached somewhere recently, not in this church, but a lady came to me who had a desperate tragedy that was on the news and people would have known about it and I would have known about it, came to me after the meeting and she came up to me and she says, I've never met you before and she introduced herself and she said to me, Philip, tell me this, do you believe in the sovereignty of God? And I said, oh yes, I do believe in the sovereignty of God. And so she said, you believe all this was in the, in the sovereign will of God? And I said, yes, I do. My tragedies, your tragedies, all of life's things are in the sovereign will of God. He can't look at it any other way. And I said, I don't understand it. I can't figure it out. I can't answer your questions. And this is what she said to me. She said, thank you. And I said, what for? She said, for not trying to answer my questions. She says, you know, every preacher and every minister that come to visit me tried to put it in a box. And I said, oh, I called her by name. I said, Mrs., it, it doesn't fit in a box. There's no box that could contain it. And I don't understand it, but it's the sovereignty of God and eternity will reveal it. But I do believe this. I believe that all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. See, the classic philosophic problem of suffering revolves around the question of how can God be sovereign, which means all-powerful and good at the same time? Because we ask this, if he were good, then he wouldn't will our suffering. And if he were powerful, he would do something about it. Not, not fair comment. So, yet we suffer so that means God must either not be good or else he's weak. The problem is, the big blind spot with this philosophy is it ignores the presence of sin in the world. It ignores the presence of sin as the reason for suffering. You see, sin entered the world at the fall. Not draw my diagram again, but sin entered the world at the fall and death by sin. And there's a plan. God has a plan in it all. And he's an eternal plan. And some of us, we see through at last darkly now, Paul says, but one day, one day we're going, I, I imagine that day, I imagine that day. And in many ways, I can't wait. In many ways, I can't wait to that day when I see the unfolded plan of the eternal Father and go, holy smoke. It will be holy smoke, won't it? It'll be, holy smoke. <sighs> How could I ever in my little mind have tried to figure that out? So you need to be careful. When something goes wrong, you need to be on guard because Satan tempted Eve by doubting God's goodness. You know, see, God's withholding something from you. He doesn't want you to eat of that fruit because he's withholding good from you. And, if, and, and, and that's what God does. He withholds the best. That's, that's what the devil does. And then what happens is we get into all kinds of things. And, and, and so we get this... The enemy will say, if God really cared for you, he wouldn't have let that happen. I, I, I love Elizabeth Elliot is an incredible writer. She's a, a legend of a woman who died recently. And um, she was the widow of Jim Elliot, and, um, who was killed by the native Indians when they went as missionaries. And he was killed literally as soon as they landed. 
Elizabeth married again. She married again, and then her husband took cancer, uh, her second husband, and died of cancer. And here's what she wrote in her book. I think it's very powerful. She said, the experiences of my life are not such that I could infer from them that God is good, gracious, and merciful necessarily. To have, that, to have had one husband murdered and another one disintegrate body, soul, and spirit through cancer is not what you would call a proof of the love of God. In fact, there are many times when it looks like just the opposite. My belief in the love of God is not by inference or instinct. It is by faith. What's Elizabeth saying? She's saying, I've learned to trust God even when I don't understand him. I've learned to trust God because he's good and he's always good. And this side of eternity mightn't even reveal the plan, but God is always good. All right. Um, here's the second little point. Um, to forgive others, we must express a proper attitude towards them. I love this. You see, our attitude is often revealed by our spontaneous reaction. Our attitude is often revealed by our spontaneous attack. Joseph wept. I think he wept because he, he saw the brothers, as I said earlier, didn't trust them even after 17 years. And they're trying to use their dead father's influence to gain their protection, and there was no need for protection. The protection wasn't needed. It was already there. So here's my few little points in this, all right? To forgive others, we need to be spiritual. It's time to grow up, church. Trying to grow up. To forgive others, we need to be spiritual. We need to be what God has called us to be. To be spiritual people, all right? When somebody wrongs you, it's easy to become proud. It's easy to say, well, I'm better than that tube. Sorry, that didn't come out right. Um, I'm better than they are. I, I'd never do anything like they did to me. I, so we take the high moral ground, don't we? Um, and, and a here, here's my little thought on this. A proud spirit always leaks out. A proud spirit always leaks out. And it leaks out in lots of ways that prevent you from truly forgiving a person who has offended you. But Joseph comes here with a beautiful, humble, spiritual mindset. He's not lording over his brothers, even though he could have. He, he, he puts them on their level. and he, exp- on, he puts himself on their level and he expresses true humility. And here's five little things that I think are a great lesson when it comes to offenses, all right? Um, First thing, you don't use power to make the other person pay for what they did. Joseph could have done this. Joseph could have used his power, all right? He could have made them pay daily for their sin. He could have enslaved and imprisoned. He could have made them sweat under fear. But Joseph reassured his brothers with this little phrase, do not be afraid. The real test of forgiveness is this, all right? Listen to this, is when you have the power to make the other person pay, but choose not to use it. That's a great point right there, Phil. All right? Forgiveness absorbs the wrong uh, without exacting payment. It absorbs the wrong. All right? Here's the second thing. You don't keep score. I know so many Christians who keep scorecards. This grieves me. It grieves me greatly that Christians keep a scorecard. You know, Joseph, could, Joseph didn't say, you guys owe me big time now. So, so, so now dad's going, you need to pay up. You need to grovel big style. Now, Joseph wasn't keeping score. 
Some, some Christians keep the record of every... I know spouses who do this, who keep the record of every wrong of their mate and they, they, they stay in power by keeping score over them. They can't forget what, what, what someone has said or, or some, how someone has offended them. It doesn't matter if the person has sought forgiveness. They, they're like a cow chewing their cud. They just bring it up over and over and over again. I love how Joseph named his first son Manasseh. And Manasseh means God has made me forget. Not beautiful. When, 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 when Joseph began to see God's plan in all of this, he called his son Manasseh saying, you know, God's just allowed me to forget all that stuff, to put it behind, all right? Forgetting, now listen to me, listen to me. Forgetting doesn't mean you have amnesia, that you, you go into some, it, mean, it actually means that you make a deliberate decision. You make, Paul says, this one thing I do. This one thing I do. I press forward towards the call, the high call, but I leave behind those things. And sometimes it's important that you leave behind. Here's, here's a third one. You, you don't put the offender down. Often we extend forgiveness in a way that makes the other person feel like scum. That's not forgiveness, all right? We come across as a big-hearted person. We are the biggie. We, well, we forgive such a big offense there. That's not really true forgiveness. And here's... So important for the church. You don't take offense easily, all right? If Joseph had been proud, of, he could have been really offended at his brother's plea. I, that's why I said, I think I would have been. But instead of, of Joseph being offended, he was grieved. It grieved him that these guys still hadn't got it. They still didn't pick it up. And, and some people are always reading between the lines. Do you know people like that? I get frustrated at this. This is, you know, they're... they're, they're so easily offended. They get offended over a text. You know, they read, they're, they're, they read the texts are a disaster, by the way, and WhatsApps and all of that. And I know we use them and we need to use them wisely. But if you're sending something of any importance to someone, lift the phone and talk to them because texts can be so misread. And people can read texts without hills and valleys. And they can just read all kinds of things. And, and so many people get offended. And, and I hear this all the time. You know, so-and-so never looked at me last Sunday. Well, maybe, maybe he just didn't. Maybe he hadn't his glasses on. You know, for dear sakes, come on. And give us all a break. Like, we could all have an off day. Like, if I, like I, 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 people say that I don't see them in the car, but I am in the zone. When I drive, I'm usually listening to something. I'm usually tuned into it. And, and then people said, I met you yesterday. You never even looked at me. And some of my kids said that to me, Dad, I met you yesterday. And we even flashed the lights. And you just, Dad's zone, as they call it. Um, but, but, you know, and, and then people, people say this, you know, well, you know they, 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 they make all kinds of points about, um, about this, you know, I'll get them back. You know, I'll get them in the long grass. You've heard that one. Nobody does that to me and get away with it. It's amazing how we, we get all these things in our heads. So you don't keep score. You don't put the offender down. You don't take offense easily. And you don't remind the offender how you were right and they were wrong. Ah, I was right after all, all right. Anybody ever said that to their spouse? I was right and you were wrong. Um, Genesis uh, is, is incredible in this story of Joseph. Like, imagine... When, like it says, in the, we just read, when, when, when dad died and they come before Joseph, it says they fell down before him. I wonder what was the first thing flashed into Joseph's mind. But it was his dream. But it was the first thing come into his mind. Ah, the dream. 
Like he could have said, ah, boys, remember the dream I told you all those years ago? Ha, 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 who's on the floor now? You know, who's right and who's wrong? He doesn't do this. He doesn't do this. He takes this humble attitude. Humility is the first ingredient of a proper attitude. And here's another little point. To forgive others, we must speak the truth in love. We must speak the truth in love. Joseph's brothers didn't say to him, you know what, if we wronged you somehow, we're really sorry, as if it was an accident. They were honest in admitting they'd sinned against him. But for his part, Joseph didn't say either, hey, boys, there's no big deal. Didn't really matter. I know you didn't mean to hurt me. Rather, he's really honest, quite gently, but he says, you meant it for evil. Don't be afraid to speak the truth in love. And try to figure that out, will you please? Speaking the truth in love is a powerful thing. All right, you're speaking it out with the right heart and with the right attitude. Jill was one of the greatest examples of this I ever met. Jill couldn't have told a lie if you'd have pet her. Um, and uh, even if somebody, you know the way if somebody gets a new dress or a new clothes, and um, they said, what do you think of a new dress? If Jill didn't like it, she couldn't actually say she. And I used to say, for dear sex, Jill, you know, and she used to do this little thing. So if somebody bought something that she, she, she just knew wasn't right, and they said, well, what do you think of a new, I mean, you jumper, do you like it? She bit her lip and she went, and then the person said, you don't like it, so you don't. And Jill would go, she just couldn't tell a lie. But you know, she just spoke the truth in love. And it was one thing I always admired about her, that she spoke, she spoke the truth in love, all right? So there's something about this. Joseph's brothers needed to hear him agree that they had wronged him because they, they, they couldn't be sure they were forgiven until it was all out into the open. And, and, and there's something about this, so, uh, uh, and he was honest with it too. Now, there's two big questions I want to deal with here in the last five minutes, okay? And we're going to finish in time because I did a little meander through kids' church before I came, and I made a promise, so I have to keep it. So um, two big questions that I want to talk about at this moment in time, and I'm only touching them briefly. Firstly, and loads of people have asked me this, so that's why I'm going to deal with it. Does forgiveness require that I don't press charges when somebody has criminally wronged my family or me? It's a big question, all right? Now, I believe you may forgive an offender personally, but for the protection of society and upholding of justice, God is... I'm reading this because I wrote it carefully. Um, for the protection of society and for the upholding of justice, God has ordained government to punish wrongdoers and to carry out justice. So forgiving a person doesn't necessarily mean that I must drop the charges, although God may lead you to do so at some times. Now, some of you are jumping to 1 Corinthians 6.1, and you're saying, doesn't Paul say not to take your brother to law? Let me read it to you. Let me read it what Paul says. In 1 Corinthians 6.1, when any of you have a grievance against another, how dare you go before an unrighteous judge instead of allowing the saints to decipher? Totally different thing. Paul is talking to two brothers who have come to some kind of disagreement and can't work it out between them, and they're taking it to an unjust judge to try and get a, some kind of verdict. That's, that's ungodly. All right? He's saying, guys, grow up. You're two spiritual brothers. You should sort this out. And if you can't sort it out, bring it to the elders and the saints and let them. Don't take it to the court of law. But this is a different thing. 
If somebody, I say again, if somebody has criminally wronged my family or me, and you think that that person could be a danger to society, and this could happen again, then the governmental systems that are put in place that you and I are called to pray for, we, we've, we have every right to use them. Every right to use them. All right? You all went very quiet on me. Second thing that... Um, the question that I've been asked a lot about forgiveness. Should I forgive a person who is not repentant or who is deceased? Somebody talked to me recently about a father who was very abusive and who's dead and said, how can I forgive them? And I said, well, you have to forgive them. The Bible teaches forgiveness. And God, God doesn't extend forgiveness until we repent. God aggressively pursues forgiveness and seeks through his kindness and repentance. Here's what the Bible says. God demonstrated his love for us in this, in that while we were still sinners, God didn't wait for us to repent. We didn't have to repent first. God actually pursued us. And it was while we were still sinners that he poured out his love and acceptance upon us. So the answer to the question is, if somebody is unrepentant, you still need to forgive them. Even they don't see the folly of their ways, even they don't understand or even admit they've wronged you, you as a believer need to take the spiritual position and forgive that person and release them and release yourself. Last story and we're finished. Um, I love this story. Um, Peter come to Jesus and he asked, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister sins against me? Four, up to seven times. Jesus says, no, not seven times, but what about, what about 490? What about seven times 70? What about 490? What's Jesus saying? Jesus saying, you need to stop keeping the scorecard, Peter. <laughs> you, just, you, know, you know, you just need to forgive. And then Jesus goes on to tell a story. And he tells a story of a person who owes a small amount of money to another person, to a king, and, and, and he can't pay the money. And of course, this person is, this, this, or to this, he can't pay the money to this person. And, and this person pursues him for the money, pursues him for the money. And eventually he goes to throw him in jail and take everything he has. And he begs, he gets down on his knees and he begs and he says, please forgive me. And this guy who he owed this five pound or 10 pound to, Forgive him. Said, oh, look, look, I'm not going to put you in jail. Take the money and go. Be released and go. This same guy, this same guy who, who just begged, gets up off his knees and he goes to a guy who owes him money, a small amount of money, and he, and he starts to, to, to claim his money back. He starts to claim his money back and, and the guy begs and begs and begs and begs and he, he won't forgive him. And so the king hears the story and he says, this guy who I forgive the big large amount to actually wouldn't forgive the small amount of his brother. And so he calls him in. And this is what he says. He calls him in. He says, you wicked servant, I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me. Shouldn't you have had mercy on the fellow servant just as I had in you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all his own. Now listen to the next wee line. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. That's, again, you need to go home and try and wrap your head around that. If you harbor unforgiveness, then you lock yourself in a jailhouse and you're tortured. That's what he says. In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured. And I know people who are tortured with unforgiveness. Tortured. 
They can't see the light of day. They can't see good in anything. They can't even see good in themselves because they're tortured. But this is the scripture. This is what happens. And it's unforgiveness. And it's true to the word. This is how my heavenly father will treat you. You'll get tortured. (laughs) Just get tortured with unforgiveness until you release it. So I know this is a heavy message. It's a very important message because it releases us into kingdom authority. And so what I'd love us to do, I'd love us to stand. We're going to pray. Two minutes to go. Better be true to my word. Let's stand. And I want just to give a moment's silence, all right? I'm just going to stay silent for about a minute. And I would love if, if, if you this morning, I was going to write a prayer, and then I thought I'd let you form your own. If you have unforgiveness towards somebody, whether it's decades old or whether it's last week or, or even maybe it's, a, it's in, in, maybe even it's in a close relationship, maybe with a parent or with a, with a child that's grown up or maybe even with a spouse. Maybe there's been a wrangling and this has been an ongoing thing where scorecards have been kept. And maybe this morning is just in, in the next minute of silence, I'd love you to hand that over to God and ask God by his Holy Spirit to give you the power to, to release that person in true forgiveness, never to bring that up again, to put it behind you. Let's do that. Father, we ask that you would seal every word spoken this morning. I pray every prayer that has just been ushered up from the silence of each individual heart, Father, that you will respond to. We know that you do. And so, God, we ask that whatever that might take this afternoon or or tomorrow morning, a phone call or a cup of coffee with someone where there needs to be a, a conversation, God, I pray that you would grace that with your presence. And, Father, that you would go forth in this and allow us to grow up into the head, which is Christ. Allow us to grow up as spiritual beings in the church, we pray. So seal your word today and bless it in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed listening to this podcast. For more information about our church and all that we do, please visit our website at emmanuel-church.co.uk.